We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports academics. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Dr. Seth Jenny. Seth is an assistant professor within the Department of Exercise and Rehabilitative Sciences at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. Dr. Jenny is a performance advisor at COVAC 2.0, the Meta FPS AIM trainer, is a founding member of the Esports Research Network, is an editorial board member of the International Journal of Esports, serves as a faculty advisor to the esports team at Slippery Rock U. He's conducted research studies relating to video gaming and esports since 2011. Recently, he authored a textbook, Technology for Physical Educators, Health Educators, and Coaches. Dr. Jennings provided more than 100 professional presentations, published nearly 50 peer-reviewed academic journal articles within his prime areas of research, including esports, motion-based video gaming, instructional technology, and distance running. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So, you know, we're going to briefly introduce the topic a little. We're looking at esports academics. Previously, we've kind of explored youth and high school esports and college esports and how it's grown. And in addition to these areas, there's also a growing academic esports world, including the Journal of Esports, the International Journal of Esports, and the Esports Research Network. And, you know, these outlets kind of contribute unique publications you might not necessarily find in Esports Observer, Esports Insider, some of these more traditional media outlets that we looked at. So now we know a bit more about what's going on there. Tell us about your past esports and gaming experience. How did you kind of get first involved? Yeah, so I um, have been just a recreational uh, video gamer. I've never been a you know a highly competitive esports um, player. But um, I, as you said in the introduction, um, I started doing 
video gaming research and specifically um, exergaming, motion-based video gaming research in 2011. Um, and I started in sort of the physical education field, actually, looking at to what extent you could utilize motion-based video games to enhance a physical education curriculum. So, so can like you we. Yeah, we we were using the Xbox uh, 360 at that time with Connect, and we were looking at um, specifically Connect uh, bowling, and to what extent, how close were the motor movements required in in that game for to real bowling? And we looked at. Um, so I, I started out in that area, moved into then a little bit of the more what you might call the traditional um, sedentary video games, uh, but sports simulation games. Um, I had always been curious and I'd read these media articles um, about these international NFL players, mostly kickers, and they um, – they would come to the U.S. and uh, they, they were phenomenal at place kicking and punting, but um, they didn't really know the, the rules of American football. And um, their coaches, the NFL coaches, would just say, go play Madden. And, uh, and so I was like, well, that's really interesting that the highest level of American football is telling – pros to, if you want to learn about football, go play the video game version of it. And so um, I, I, I did an experimental study looking at international college students, ones who didn't have familiarity with American football. And I had an experimental group that played um, eight hours of Madden, another group that didn't do any um, Madden gaming and pre-post tested on their American football knowledge. And, and sure enough, the, the experimental group um, improved their post-test score by about 10% more than, than the group that didn't do any gaming. But um, what was really interesting is, is that afterward I did focus group with, with that group who did the gaming and um, they really felt a greater connection to American culture because they understood the basic rules of, of American football and they could go to the bar and understand when people are cheering, what's going on. And, and so um I did a few different studies relating to that, um, and then I moved into esports in around 2016, 2017, when they started, um, when I say they, the collegiate esports really started picking up, and, and Robert Morris and, and some of these institutions started offering collegiate scholarships that really grabbed my attention, and I started shifting my focus of research more on esports than um than motion-based gaming and sedentary gaming, more the competitive side of things. So yeah, that's um, sort of how I got into it. And um, now I'm moving into uh, curriculum development and um, teaching courses in esports. Amazing. So tell us a little about, you know, the courses that Simply Rock offers and, you know, how did it start and what are some kind of courses that you guys are offering to students now? Sure. So in, in 2018, um, I got approached by a, a guy that I did a few esports research projects with named Joey Gariziak from Shenandoah University. And he said, hey, we're thinking about starting an esports uh, major at Shenandoah, which is in Winchester, Virginia. And he, he said, you know, um, he was a, he's a sport management professor and I'm, you know, I come from it from the exercise science side of things. He's like, what about trying to do some type of interdisciplinary major? And, um, so I, I helped uh, design the, 
um, Shenandoah University esports major there. And my current administration at Slipper Rock sort of took notice of that. And um, so about a year now, I've been working on curriculum development um, at Slippery Rock. And, and then this coming fall, 2021, um, I'll be starting to teach some esports specific courses at Slippery Rock. So the first one is called... It, it's a liberal studies class. And so what, what that is, is one of these general education requirements that incoming freshmen have to take. And the way that Sliprock does it is it's called university seminar where the professors teach sort of um, how do you understand things and how do you research things and how do you uh, challenge claims in the media and not just accept things for fact. And so how do you search for truth through the lens of sort of your research focus? So I'm teaching a class called Game On, this is eSports, and I'm sort of teaching some basic research skills, but through the lens of eSports. Um, a second class I'm teaching, um, which will eventually hopefully be part of an undergraduate minor in eSports at Slip Rock, is called Introduction to eSports. Um, really covers the, the gamut of um, how eSports are governed, what are some of the leagues, uh, what is esports versus video gaming and and provides a basic introduction to some of the terminology to the game titles to the genres and things like that and then uh, the last class that um, we have approved to, to start teaching is called current issues in esports health and society and again that one is also is part of an interdisciplinary undergrad esports minor that will help be uh, also part of the liberal studies curriculum at, at Slippery Rock. Interesting. You know, it's amazing to see how you're able to kind of develop these curriculums and kind of take the existing body of knowledge that you know, other areas are already using and, you know, kind of adapt it towards this field. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that really is lagging behind, as you mentioned, is the research. So um, we have some related fields where you have some research on video gaming and, and a lot of it, you know, is in um, the game design area. But now we're really starting to pick up the amount of academic um, peer-reviewed peer empirical research specific with samples of esports competitive video game players. And so that's something that is a passion of mine and, and I'm continuing to do research on that, um, particularly with the health implications of of um, sedentary uh, gaming and um, a study that I'm we just uh, submitted for for publication that I did with the New York Institute of Technology, uh, Joanne Donahue and, and and some colleagues there. We were looking at um, to what extent a um, walk break, a short walk break in the middle of a two hour gaming session would have on executive functioning. So like your cognitive decision-making, as well as uh, gaming performance of FPS players. And so we had three um, conditions for We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Each of the participants of the study, uh, two hours continuous gaming on one session. The second session was um, an hour of gaming, a six-minute brisk walk, and then another hour of gaming. And then the last um, condition was an hour of gaming, a six-minute complete rest, just laying down, and then another hour of gaming and, and um so, yeah, that's one of the uh, types of studies that we're starting to look at where there's so much research out there that talks about how exercise improves cognition. Well, what we want to know specifically in the esports field is does it improve gaming performance in, you know, decision making, cognitive functioning relating that. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more with a Credit Karma money spend account. You can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Will help gaming performance. Absolutely. I mean, I think that kind of brings us to the next question. So we mentioned the eSports Research Network. So kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, what that is and some of the work that they've done now and kind of how they fit into this whole scene. Yeah. So this um, organization is actually um, based out of Germany, but it's a, it's a conglomerate of eSports scholars from around the world. And I, I've connected and have con- uh, done research with people that I've met through this network. Um, I encourage you to check out their website. It's esportsresearch.net. And then their main purpose is to connect researchers to engage with um, the industry, with society, and then connect with other researchers. Um, one of the unique things about their website, if you go on there, they have a tab called esports literature. And it's a massive database of esports research studies that have been done um, from peer-reviewed journals. And so you can put in certain search terms. Maybe you want to find some studies on esports psychology or or tilt, or maybe you want to find some research about esports in the Olympics or, you know, anything relating to esports. And uh, you'll find that in in that um, literature database. They also have a podcast too. Um, so yeah, I encourage you to check that out, but it's, it's something that is helping push forward the legitimacy of esports research. Um, and hopefully that, that, um, more people will see 
esports as something that is worth investigating and not just video gaming that you know nobody cares about type of thing that it's something serious and it's something there's a lot of money surrounding hence the title of your your podcast here yes no you know we've definitely identified that there's a unique area of you know and huge growth and as you mentioned being able to bring the academic angle into it and kind of give it this true mainstream acceptance where it's like, yeah, the academics of the world are doing studies. We actually care about how lighting and energy and light and everything that has to go into performance, how that affects and how we look at it from a more academic lens is what gives credibility to all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and from my perspective too, uh, you know, I certainly look at things through the health angle where, um, you know, I, I'm I'm hoping that more uh, esports organizations will take the health of their players more seriously and 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 have a long term focus for players and not just a short term. We're on a six month contract or a one year contract, and and this is all we care about because there's way too many players that are getting injured that I that I believe believe are preventative preventable injuries um and they're not not um showing as much focus on the holistic care of the person not just you know the video game player specifically and so i think research will will help shed light on the impacts of um exercise and uh working with psychology sports psychologists and in the like Absolutely. So, you know, I definitely know we've had previous topics of, you know, health and esports and how we believe that sooner than later, most orgs are going to have some kind of medical and training staff, nutritionists, which a lot of them already do, because these studies are going to substantiate the fact that sleep and proper circulation and stretching and, you know, light weights or whatever it might be is going to increase your performance. And we don't have to be theoretical about it. We have places like the Esports Research Network and, you know, the other outlet that I know is quickly emerging, the International Journal of Esports. So tell us a little about that. I know you're involved in it. Yeah. So the International Journal of Esports is an open access, meaning that um, you do not have to pay to view the articles after they're published. You know, if anybody hates um, when you want to, you read an abstract and it sounds like a really interesting journal article. And then all of a sudden it says, all right, you need to pay $39 or try to contact your library um, to, to gain the full text. So this is open access, meaning the whole article is available. Um, and it is open to pretty much anything that relates to esports, this journal. Uh, again, it's a global um, editorial board. So a lot of different perspectives there. We just um, a few months ago finished up a undergraduate uh, college student essay competition. Uh, they had a couple different options to write an essay about. And so we're, we're definitely um, trying to support uh, young scholars that are looking to try to get recognized. Um, their website is ijesports.org. So definitely check that out. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great avenue for more people to uh, find esports research, but we try not to write 
and have these articles with such technical, you know, academic types of terms that you can't understand what you're reading. And so we we want to try to have have it in a way that it's not just for academics, it's for industry personnel, it's for uh, esports players, it's for anybody who um, has an interest in esports that it's welcoming and, and it's accessible to all of those populations. Amazing. I think that's important. And, you know, as you mentioned, having access to that, having to pay for it and having something that's digestible for students and professionals and, you know, pay, people that maybe aren't as sophisticated as a PhD or you know, a graduate <laughs> level student might be. And Oh, there's plenty of PhDs that aren't sophisticated. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, we're, we're trying to be nice about it, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, you know, I know we're kind of talking about some of the curriculum development that you've been working on in this space. So are there any suggestions for any potential courses that potential students or universities might find valuable that's really kind of currently lacking that you see the need for as we go forward? Yeah, so I actually have a paper that um, is in review right now where we took a worldwide inventory of esports academic degrees in higher education. And um, I did this research with Joey from Shenandoah as well as um, Nico um, Besomes from uh, France. And we came across 95 higher ed programs that are focused on esports. So that covers the gamut of bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, technical like diplomas, certificates and undergraduate minors. And um, so th these primarily focus about 80% of them across all of those um, programs that we found. 80% of them were focused on esports business. So like esports marketing, event management, entrepreneurship, administration. Um, 15 the money. Yes, exactly. And, and it, that's obviously um, where the, you would expect there was only about um, three percent just sort of claim themselves to be a general esports uh, degree program. The the majority of them had a specific focus or, or niche. Um, about sixteen percent were focused on broadcasting, communication, media, public relations, uh, and then um, when you talk up to people about esports degrees. Most of the people think that you're talking about like a training program of how to be an elite esports professional. And really, only about 12% of the programs that we came across were focused on how do you get better at gaming, like the performance, exercise, sports science piece to it. Um, and so, that, you know, to answer your question, that is one of those areas that um, is could probably use some more. Uh, academic uh, programming in as well as the health um, aspects of it. Uh, but really, when you think about it, the value of, of these programs, th the purpose of them is to teach these students transferable skills so that they can use it and have an inside knowledge about esports in within the industry. But they also should the better programs should be teaching transferable skills, you know, communication, business, marketing, those types of skills that can be used in any career field. And so they'd be doing a disservice to the student if you're pigeonholing the student to only try to find an esports uh, job. And so, um, yeah, those are some of the the areas, and and I'm really excited for that paper to come out uh, because. Um, there, there are some issues with some of these programs. Um, 
So for example, uh, we, you came across one certificate. It's a graduate certificate in esports from this one institution. Well, that institution also offers a graduate certificate in sport management. Well, what they did is they took uh, several courses from their sport management certificate program. They added one class called Introduction to Esports, and boom, there's their esports certificate program. And so, um, in the paper, we we call that esportifying a curriculum, where you know you take one or two esports classes and you throw it with a bunch of existing courses already on the books, and then you call it an esports degree. And so there, there, there's some of those things that, that need to be worked out, and there's no current accreditation for esports programming just yet, just the, the general accreditation for universities. So those are some of the things that need to be worked through. Um, and from my own experience, uh, if you're looking to develop the curriculum, you really need to prepare, be prepared for territory battles because esports is so interdisciplinary. You know, where does the program get housed? Do you put it in the College of Business? Do you put it in the information, you know, technology, computer science? Does it go? I mean, my courses are housed in the, the exercise science program because that's where the faculty member with the, the expertise has it. Uh, and some of my classes have a little bit of a health focus relating to esports. And so um, no matter any time I've spoken to anybody who's uh, proposed new esports curriculum in higher ed, it's always a massive battle because people want to put get their hands in the pot. And, and not all of those people that want a hand in the pot have a background in a knowledge level of esports. Interesting. I think that's, you know, a great point that you're bringing up and a lot of people just want to kind of catch the wave of it, but if you don't do it properly, you know, you're really just saying, okay, instead of playing basketball, we're playing NBA 2K and it's just, you know, you can really just interchange a lot of those concepts, but as someone who came from the more traditional entertainment and sports world into esports, there are a lot of similarities, and I've noticed them. And but there are huge differences, and that's what these last few years, working you know with players and teams and brands and companies in the space, you learn these intricacies and how it all works. And and that's what those better academic programs should be teaching. It's it's we're going to teach the basic concepts, but we're also going to teach some of these intricacies that are unique to esports. And and you, you you can't do that effectively unless you have been involved in esports and 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 have been researching it and and doing it yourself. You know, absolutely. So I know you're also you know an advisor for the college's esports program. So how does the whole recruitment process work? Do you actually recruit players or? Yeah. So um, our program is only a few years old. It's a club level. It's it's not what you, you would call a varsity program. We're not offering scholarships. Um, it's really housed within the recreation services um, club sports level at this point. And really, I don't know, even though they called it a sport at my school, maybe more of like an activity. Um, anyway, uh, the way... So, we don't, I wouldn't say we're actively um, recruiting students. It's more about we recruit the students that are currently students to increase our number of students in the club. Um, it's more of a um, 
endemic type of recruitment here uh, at Slippery Rock. That's not to say that as we continue to evolve with our esports curriculum, and we're also looking at adding an esports arena at Slippery Rock, um, I think that that will develop and evolve into more of a competitive scene at Slippery Rock. Um, Shenandoah, I know a few weeks ago, had a um, recruitment event, which I think that is going to be more common these days. So they invited a number of high school level esports players as like a showcase type of event. And then they invited um, some collegiate coaches. And so it, it was almost, uh, yeah, like a, a combine type of, well, I wouldn't say combine because they weren't actually, they were playing and then being observed while they were, were playing and, and being able to interact with some of these coaches and, and some of the high school esports players and i think that's going to be starting to be more commonplace uh, especially as, as things open up where you can do more face-to-face -face activities i think it's pretty hard to to do that completely online because the student wants the college experience where they um you know a lot of them may want to be on campus and so they want to to do the visit but also get to know what type of environment am i stepping into um with with the coaching and and with their teammates Amazing. I mean, I think that's a really interesting concept. And I know that there's started to become the development of like recruiting agencies and firms that are kind of targeting players, but now you have these elite showcases. How does the players get selected? Is it just by achieving a certain level or? I think it was open to anyone. Yeah. Um, I, and, and, you know, obviously some of these coaches are, are looking at, at skill ranks and things, but, you know, I, I think that certainly the way that, uh, certain players play and it's specific to the game and, and the game title and the, and um, uh, how will their play style and their communication style mesh with the rest of the teammates. I mean, that's all part of that recruitment process. It's hard to, to get from looking at a, you know, a rank, a ranking from, from a player. And, and um, yeah, I think that some of those, what you might call soft skills will start to play um, a greater importance as esports, especially at the collegiate level, starts to increase. And, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the point that you've kind of brought up with just how Slippery Rock has incorporated into their universities, it's, you know, more of an internal club where everyone that's already a student can find like-minded people that like playing League or Smash or Rock League or any of these and want to compete against schools the same way, you know, you might be part of a lacrosse club or any of these other student organizations. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we've done recently is – um, as I said, we're only about three years old of, a, of an organization. This year, we started involving hosting tournaments for more than just our own current student body. And I know that's we're, we participate in, in different leagues, but for hosting our own tournaments in the past, they'd only been Slippery Rock students. Uh, and so now we we've opened it up to um, Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education the anybody within that that um, what's called the Pashi um, school network could participate in some of our online tournaments, which is pretty neat. So it increased um, our participation in some of the the tournaments that we host. I know um, next week we're hosting a, a CS:GO tournament. Amazing. So it sounds like you guys are really you know doing some innovative things over there. So what's the future of the program at Subway Rock? Yeah, I think. Um, Increasing the 
uh, size of the club. But then I, I really think that if and when we get a esports arena approved and built, um, that will start to attract uh, higher caliber students. Um, I'd really like to see greater diversity in our club. Um, and so that's something that is lacking a little bit. So I think that that's an area for growth. Uh, and then the academic curriculum um, where, you know, I'm in the, the College of Health Environment and Science. Uh, I'm sorry, Health Engineering and Science. We just changed the name. Um, and the esports minor is going to be housed in the College of Business. And so it's it will be a true interdisciplinary program. And so I think that as um, students start to get take these classes and to see some of the crossover and to hear from the experiences of different faculty from different backgrounds, um, that will start to inc increase the popularity of esports on campus and try to attract more students at Slippery Rock, which, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the growth. Awesome. So what do you think the future of college esports and, you know, the academic and research side of it? How big can this all get? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that uh, it will be interesting to see what happens with some of these uh, programs, the higher ed esports programs, because right now we're still at the level where we we're not tracking these people haven't graduated from these programs yet. If we're talking about a four year program and the majority of them started around 2018, 2019, 2020. And so if we're talking about the academic curriculum of esports, it will be interesting to see what are the, what's the job placement rate of these graduates. Um, are they in working in the esports industry? Uh, what areas of esports are they working in? You know, what's their salary? And then what's the retention rate of the of these programs? How how are they holding on to those um, students that they originally attracted? And then um, for me, a big interest that I'm wanting to see what happens is that how will collegiate esports um, potentially be regulated and streamlined because it's really, there's so many different leagues that the different, different teams from different areas um, compete in across the different game titles. And, you know, there's always the discussion of whether the NCAA will try to um, get involved and they would obviously have to have a major agreement with the game publishers and, and you, you know, you being the legal, legal guy probably know that better than me, but I'm really interested to see how the regulation and the institutionalization of collegiate esports goes because of the whole amateur status and, and these um, other types of rules that I, I think the impression I get is the majority of esports hardcore people don't want the NCA involved whatsoever. But to try to get mainstream acceptance of esports, it honestly wouldn't be a bad thing to get um, uh, the NCA involved. Same with the Olympics. You know, there's people. You know, people don't want to be involved in the Olympics because then you've got to um, bend and sway toward the the IOC and what their demands are. But if you get greater acceptance from what people perceive as sort of the authority of sport, then that's going to increase um, the acceptance in general society of esports. So, yeah, that's where I see some of the 
unique things that I'm really looking forward to seeing how it pans out. Yeah, I mean, I think those are you know really interesting points that you brought up about how, do you want the NCAA in this big institution kind of governing every angle and transaction of it? Or is it kind of better in this almost third party, a lot of it is almost like a club. It might be like a super active, intense club at the varsity level, but at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the level that a basketball program or a hockey or a football or, you know, even a lacrosse program might be at most universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and other things for, at the collegiate level, uh, I'm looking to more st- streamlined leagues. You know, I, I'm interested to see how VR esports may pick up and, and, spe- and also even mobile esports at the collegiate level, whether, whether that may pick up. Um, and I'd love to see, uh, specific tournaments focused on um, people with disabilities. And that doesn't have to be at the collegiate level, but just any level um, where uh, playing alongside able-bodied, body, uh, able-bodied people, but um, even just specific, because uh, I've spoken to uh, different people, um, some of them with visual impairments and whatnot, and they said they'd love to see some types of tournaments specifically for people with similar disabilities. Um, that again, th- those are all things that I think that as the, the popularity and growth of esports takes off, so I'd love to see some of those opportunities for those people too. Absolutely, I think there was a recent article or some news about people trying to advocate for more gaming tournaments, focus on that, and trying to kind of give additional opportunities. Which you know, at the end of the day, I think that's one of these big, you know, overarching themes in esports and gaming spaces. You know, equality and inclusion, whether it's gender, race, mm-hmm. you know, and anything else that kind of goes along that spectrum. Yeah, one of the a research re, recent research study that was published uh, probably about three or four months ago, it was looking at um, the percentage of males and females uh, with uh, men and women within esports teams at the collegiate level, and once. Um, one of the big distinguishing characteristics is there were significantly less women involved in in the team when the team went to the varsity status and started offering scholarships. And so, uh, you know, I don't – there's a it's lot, a lot of more different- intense. You know, it's yeah. like the varsity level and the enthusiasm and the passion and the people that are playing it. It's, it's another level than what you're doing on a Saturday night. Yes, but but it also can be that, that – potentially the people that are selecting the the um, players for the scholarships uh, have a bias against um, women that they can play at the same level as as men you know well, we're not throwing any colleagues under the bus it's important <laughs> to be aware of these things that you know this implicit and you know yeah. subconscious bias these are things that do come to fact exactly yeah so um Anyway, the, yeah, those are all things that, that more research is needed. And the Esports Research Network and the International Journal of Esports um, are great platforms to continue to investigate um, these types of issues and, and to try to get the word out for um, industry and, and um, players as well as other researchers. Absolutely. So, you know, I like to kind of end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? Uh, probably CSGO, although I do like Rocket League, uh, quite a bit, actually. What about Um, your favorite game to play? Rocket League. 
Okay, awesome. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DRSethJenny. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Seth Jenny, S-C-T-H-J-E-N-N-Y. Well, you know, thanks everybody again for tuning in and, you know, for joining us. Um, this was some great knowledge. Make sure to follow him if you want to get that true insight in what's going on. And follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q. And check Apple Podcasts for all of Paris episodes. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.